I'm Michael Ashcroft, the founder of Lord Ashcroft Polls, and this is the Ashcroft in America podcast. The South has long been a bastion of support for the Republican Party, but as attention begins to turn towards this year's midterm elections, some are wondering if we could be in for a few surprises. We've come to Tennessee, where the Democrats are hoping to send their first senator to Washington since Al Gore in 1990. And Mississippi, whose neighboring state of Alabama unexpectedly backed the Democrat Doug Jones in a special election last December, despite voting for Donald Trump by a 28-point margin the previous year. We're here to see if people feel Donald Trump is making America great again whether or not he is improving life for them, and how his party's support is holding up in a part of the country it will depend on both this November and in two years' time, when the president himself once more goes before the voters. Hello, I'm Kevin Colwick, the director of Lord Ashcroft Polls, here in Jackson, Mississippi, with my faithful co-host, the NBC and MSNBC political analyst, Elise Jordan. Elise, this is the 15th edition of the Ashcroft in America podcast, and at last we've come to your home state. Kevin, I begged you, and you've got to admit, Mississippi's pretty great. The hospitality state, as we're known, or the Magnolia State. We're going to hear from Lord Ashcroft. He's going to sit down with Phil Bryant, the governor of our great state, and also Memphis Congressman Steve Cohen. You know, there were so many things to talk about with these focus groups, and we did focus groups in Oxford, home of University of Mississippi, better known as Ole Miss, and also in Jackson, the state capital, and just over the state line in Memphis. You know, we had an unexpected diplomatic coup with North Korea, the reigniting of the gun control debate following another tragic school shooting, the prospect of a trade war with Europe and China, the firing of Secretary of State Rex Tillerson by tweet, not to mention a complicated story in which the president is alleged to have had an affair with a porn star and paid her to keep quiet weeks before the election. So we had plenty to talk to voters about. Steve Cohen has been a member of the United States Congress for 11 years, representing the 9th District of Tennessee, an area that includes large parts of the city of Memphis. He spoke to Elise from his office in Washington, D.C., and she began by asking whether the recent surprise election results in Alabama, where a Democrat was elected to the U.S. Senate in last year's special election, signaled a wider turning of the tide in Southern Republican strongholds. Well, I think I think you do have a combination of, of factors there. I think that uh, uh, Roy Moore was a seriously uh, questionable human being and, and therefore a candidate, but it, but it still was unusual for uh, a Democrat to win in Alabama as they did, and I think you're seeing there, as you've seen around the rest of the country, a great uh, uh, desire by Democrats to to uh, come back as they've seen the, the, what happened with the election of Trump, and you're seeing a great uh, surge of enthusiasm on Democrats and turnout. And you're also seeing Republicans who've got uh, buyer's remorse, and some of whom either stayed home or and or uh, decided to vote for a Democrat to put a check and balance on a president who they are embarrassed by. They may, uh, you know, as the evangelicals have said, he serves their needs and he's appointed uh, pro-life people to the courts and, and other actions he's taken that, uh, that they are in favor of. But I do think that they're still embarrassed by him and all of his uh, uh, personal uh, uh, flaws and let alone his uh, inability to tell the truth. Within your district, do you find that many people who voted for Trump are moving over to the Democratic side? And what do you think that Democrats can do to move more of those voters who are experiencing buyer's remorse? 
Well, I, I, I have seen some people who I know who are I'd call country club or chamber of commerce Republicans who went along with the crowd who didn't care for Hillary and voted for Trump on the idea he was a businessman and that uh, thought he'd be uh, maybe grow into the job. And I think they've seen that he hasn't grown into the job and he's still more of a, of a, a, a TV uh, host or TV uh, uh, game show or uh, whatever they kind of reality television show uh, figure he is, and that uh, he hasn't shown any abilities to be a, uh, or indications that he's a good business person. He can't keep a team together. He can't manage an office, and he's off uh, off script all, all the time. So I've seen a lot of those people uh, be embarrassed, and I think feel very w- sure that they will vote to put a check and balance on him. And uh, But that's mostly in that crowd. As far as the, the kind of hardcore uh, support that Trump has among more conservative working-class people, uh, I think he still has some of that. Although I've had people come up to me at, at, at events who are middle-class uh, working people and told me, I voted Republican all my life, but I don't like what's going on with this man. If Democrats do manage to win back control of the House of Representatives, will very much change in Washington? Well, I think there'll be a lot of change. I mean, there'll be... Uh, you know, the committees will look more at consumer issues and uh, environmental issues and preservation for the next generation of our of our earth and uh, and our and our, and our opportunity. But that rather than just gutting all that for business and 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 not putting the consumer at risk to uh, to the to the vagaries of business and the, and the wiles of, of business. So I think you'll see some changes there, and I think you'll see some emphasis on getting a voting rights. Uh, Act passed, and uh, and I think there'll be a big change in, in what we see. And of course, I'm looking at a perspective of Judiciary Committee. I think on transportation, you'll see a funding source promoted that uh, might allow us to have an infrastructure bill and improve our highways and our bridges and, and make them safe and 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 in tune with the 21st century. Uh, and and I think you'll see a lot of differences in perspective. Uh, and I think you'll see an, a, an effort to preserve our health care system and provide health care to people, which. We're not doing now. Um, I think even if the Democrats get a majority in Congress, uh, Trump still has a veto, so you'll have some problems. But I don't see Trump keeping to the issues he's been advocating in this term. If he loses the majorities in both the House and the Senate, I think he'll change his tune. I don't think the man has a moral center and a, uh, a psychic anchor, and I think he will he will just uh, move along and try to get some things done that – that uh, the Democrats are in favor of. He wants his signature on bills. He wants something for history to look at. He wants to claim uh, that he did things in different areas. And I don't think that the, the, the means and the process of getting there is really important to him. It's the ends. And I think he'll change his tune and, and, and probably work with Democrats. And I think you'll see more more accomplished. You know, we hear people in our research saying uh, you know what they have, what they see as the flaws of President Trump and the problems with his agenda, but they don't really have an answer for what is the Democratic agenda, and they complain that the Democratic message isn't strong enough. Are there any lessons over these past two years of what you know the Democratic Party should be offering the people as a message, or um, you know, is Trump Trump's message still going to reign supreme? I think the Democrats want to show they're for fairness and for justice and for giving everybody an opportunity uh, 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 to, 
participate in the American dream and being the middle class and to be able to have a better life for themselves and their children. And that's through Pell Grants and college education, <laughs> through workforce training, and through tax uh, uh, policy that is uh, geared toward the middle class and not toward the bill that was passed that was geared toward the upper 1%. And I think that's what the Democrats are going to make that point. And, and I think people will understand it. And they want to see a check and balance on Trump. This this is not a normal president. This is not a normal human being. And he should not have the vast amount of power he has to have a Congress that is supplicant to him because he's a danger to the environment. He's a danger to peace. He's a danger to uh, uh, fairness and justice. And uh, people, I think, see that. Enough people see it to where there was that 20-point swing in that district and a bigger swing in Alabama, and you're going to see the swings all around the country. There's going to be a, a tsunami, a blue tsunami in November. And so to our focus groups. With Russia firmly back in the headlines, none of our groups worried very much about President Trump's relationship with the country. What they thought about the Mueller investigation and whether or not Trump knew about Russian attempts to influence the election usually depended on whether or not they voted for him. I mean, I come from the days of the Cold War, and the, oh my God, I mean, you know, as a kid, it's like, you know, it's like, okay, we're going to get in whatever nuked or, you know, poison, whatever. If we can find ways to coexist, I'm not saying we're going to be best buddies or any of that, you know, but let's find some neutral territory and see if we can't, I guess, identify some mutual um, goals. Surprised at how much of a relationship Trump has with Russia and with Putin. Um, but I don't know if it's one of one of those things where, um, you know, keep your friends close, keep your enemies closer. I mean, it's already been, come, has come out that they were involved in the voting scandal with Facebook and mm -hmm. um, false, uh, you know, stuff, but that had nothing to do with Trump. Mm -hmm. I think he had something to do with it. Yeah. I really do. Mm -hmm. I really think he had something to do with everything, and it's going to eventually uh, yeah. expose Arise. him at the end. I think they're trying to just cover him up, just yeah. keep him guarded, but somebody going to jump on out and just go ahead and tell the whole story. But he mm -hmm. have a lot to do with it. Yeah, I do. All the people he's fired, I would think that one of them would, you know, whistleblow and say, hey, you know, he's putting it all on me, but it was him, you know. So I just find it strange that no one's, and it it, it just hasn't come out yet, but no one's linked okay. him directly. And, um, and and trust me, their Trump media's spending millions trying to trying to find that link and no one's been able to so it makes me wonder if there is a link and i personally think it's because they're afraid of it okay and as much the more mud you can stir the easier it is to keep him from doing his job still with foreign affairs the idea of president trump having face-to-face -face talks with kim jong-un of north korea inspired a mixture of hope and trepidation even among his own supporters i think it could probably go either way good or bad they both seem like very strong-willed mm -hmm. men, um, and not that anything may happen them, but I feel like they could easily anger each other, and which could maybe lead to something. Trump made a, a post about him being fat and ugly or something, like on his Twitter. His Twitter needs to be taken yeah, away. Yeah, he needs but, to stay yeah, off Twitter. Yeah. But I just feel like tr Trump makes such like off-the-wall, like quick comments like mm -hmm. without thinking he has no filter and that 
North Korea dictator is also insane. So, like, you put them in the same room, and they're likely to send off nuclear weapons, like, mm-hmm. that moment mm-hmm. with them both in the room. So, mm-hmm. I think it's a disaster waiting to happen. I think John Hunt, he's, uh, he's it. I, I, you know, I've got my finger on the button of we're building the missiles that can hit California and all this stuff. Well, we'll shoot one then and see what happens. He's not going to shoot one because he knows what would happen. So, I think the two of them getting together, uh, they talk tough public when they get behind the closed doors. I don't think they're going to be talking that way. His father did it. Uh, they all did it. They they stand up, they act tough, and then if we don't push back, they get their way a little bit more. But when we really push back, then they realize that they're a starving country and dying and need help. And so I think that when we pushed back, he kind of fell back down and said, hey, I'll talk to you because we're going to start cutting them off from even more things. He's not a person that good at public speaking like I paid attention like even when he came down for the opening of the Civil Rights Museum he read word for word the entire speech he can't go off script because he's going to say something that's offensive or something that he shouldn't say so I feel that everything has to be written for him and like going and talking with another um, world leader from another right (laughs) I just don't think that's a good idea we asked people how they thought the president was seen in other countries and what they thought of the way he dealt with the rest of the world. I don't trust how the media, what the media tells us the world feels about us. For instance, when we entered the Olympics a couple years ago, they said, oh, everybody, you can feel the coldness. The commentator said, you can feel the coldness from all the other countries. And I'm looking on the screen, seeing people clapping. I didn't see any different reaction for America than I did for anybody else. And I almost feel like we're being fed and told all the time a, a narrative about how countries feel about us when I don't know if that's just what the media wants us to think. I'm sure Mexico doesn't like them. Laughable. I yeah, think. I think most of the world laughs I think at they Trump. respect the uh, respect the office. They just like no different than we are, you know, just calm down a little bit with it all. Okay. I'm not sure if I agree with that. I think they probably don't know how to take him. Because I think he is smart, and I think he is laughable on Twitter, and I think some of the things he says are absolutely ridiculous. But I also think because of that, it makes him like unpredictable, and other countries could be somewhat nervous of what he would do. So they may think he's laughable, but they also are somewhat like a little apprehensive to like make us mad, whereas used to people weren't like scared of us. I feel a lot safer with him, and I think that um, other countries would probably be, I guess, intimidated by him because they know he'll do what he says he's going to do. Um, so I just I feel a lot safer with him. He is actually putting America first. A good example of this was the proposed tariffs on steel and other imports, which the president's supporters in particular expected to go some way to delivering on one of the big themes of his campaign. I think his plan is to try to bring back as many jobs to America as he possibly can. And by making it expensive to go to Canada to get the steel when it can be produced in Philadelphia or Pennsylvania or whatever, wherever it's produced, like that brings so many more jobs back here. It's one of those things that would happen over time. Mm -hmm. And I can't say that it would work for sure or not, but I think that's his... I like, that's what he's going for. I think he serves our country well. His, his first interest is he looks at America as a business. It's like he's not getting room in NAFTA, so he's coming up with these tariffs um, against steel. And it's not so much against steel, it's just a play to re, 
um, organized that. The whole thing is, I think it's pro-American because pro for crying out loud, you can't ship a Chevy into Asia without it being heavily taxed. This is about rebuilding our country. Yes. Yeah. Another big current story in the US is that of Stormy Daniels, who claimed she was paid $130,000 to keep quiet about an affair she had with Donald Trump in 2006. Those who had voted for him didn't condone his behaviour, but drew a distinction between his private conduct and the job they'd elected him to do. I'm not condoning what he did. I'm just saying that, like, personally, I don't really care. If I was his wife, I would care, but exactly. that's a personal family yeah. issue. Mm-hmm. It's not like he was in the Oval Office you know, with a cigar or in line to Congress. I would never point to him with my sons and say, you know, Donald Trump's the example. The office, yes. Donald Trump, never. No, he's a terrible example. 100% agree. Never. But he gets stuff done. And, you know, I voted against Hillary and I voted for him because I believed he would get more stuff done Mm -hmm. as president. There's certain things I want done. I want somebody to make our our economy and work to protect our shores. I don't care about the rest of this stuff Mm -hmm. because that's all between them and God. We can't, I'm not going to be that moral compass for him. One of the worst presidents we've had in recent, you know, it was probably Carter, and he was one of the most moral presidents, but he was the most ineffective presidents we ever had. We were pretty much resigned to having mediocrity of moral character in our with our politicians. I wouldn't want to be married to him, but you know, other than that. We didn't elect him to be a saint. We elected him to be a leader. Overall, those who had voted positively for Trump in 2016 were still quite solidly behind him. I want one word or phrase to describe how you feel Donald Trump has been doing as president. Uh, Stock market. Strategic. Re-elect. Best and most genuine I've ever seen. Borderline sociopath, but we needed someone like him. I think he is trying to do what he said. I like his patriotism. Because I feel like that's such a reverse from where we were the last eight years of feeling like our president was so negative about our country. America's kind of more on the table now. We're not going to back down as much on issues globally. We're not as getting pushed around on the Meanwhile, we found people who had switched to Trump having previously voted for Barack Obama in 2012 or Bernie Sanders in the 2016 primary, and who had been voting mainly against Hillary Clinton, were somewhat less happy. Not that they would necessarily vote differently if they could go back and try again. Dangerous. I mean, I just, I worry if he's just screwing up. Screw up. I'd have to say dangerous. I expect him to do better than what he's doing. He has no class. (laughs) He has no class as a um, person who is standing in front um, as the man-in-chief of the free world. It is what it is. I don't regret it. I wouldn't have voted for Hillary if I'd had to vote ten times. If I had to vote once a year, I wouldn't vote for Hillary. When it came to the midterm elections coming up in November, many of the Republicans in our groups were unsure what to do, especially if they supported the president's agenda but took a dim view of Republicans in Congress. But voters from all backgrounds were weary of what seemed to them an entrenched and remote political establishment. My disappointment has been in just the majority of, uh, of Congress not doing what it would appear the majority of Americans want. Uh, it's, hard, it's hard for me to call myself Republican now because mm-hmm. I don't think that the majority of the people that are up there agree with me on anything. Well, like, there should never be a government shutdown because you guys can't get something accomplished. Like, you are grown people. Get it done. Who could go in there and get anything done in the climate that they're in? Mm-hmm. 
because there there are going to be so many people that oppose it, right or wrong, whatever you do, the parties get further and further apart every time we have an election. You can hate somebody and still be like Trump is a, a, a an immature child, a daycare, whatever. Like those are all accurate statements. But you know, when it comes to immigration, let's sit down and let's you know. Let's but sit. are they doing that? I don't know. See, I think they're all mm-hmm. immature too. There's going to be a, a Republican primary in August. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think you're going to be looking for? How are you going to choose? I want to find someone who lines up with with what I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. Regardless of who's the president, yeah, someone, that, someone that as trustworthy as we can find, right? But someone whose whose beliefs and ideals match mine. That way, I feel that I'm being representative. Yeah. I mean, I'd probably vote for someone who is more in line with Trump. I'm going to vote for who I think is going to probably beat the Democrat. But they've all kind of sold into this that we want compromise. We don't want compromise. We want. I want my values. <laughs> I don't want represented. to represent it. What I wish we had in place that the the candidates would stand there wearing the um, racing uniforms that NASCAR drivers <laughs> use with all your sponsors listed <laughs> on your clothes so we know who has paid you off. I would say just in Mississippi because I know Mississippi. I think that if we would get younger minds, because mm-hmm. I think most of the people we have in Congress and Senate, they're older people and they're, they're kind of brother-brother system, mm-hmm. and so that's why they stay in there, but I think if a younger mind regards to color, uh, they can see it in a more innovative way, mm-hmm. to where we can move forward, mm-hmm. and so I think the older people are or standing in the middle of the road holding us back. Right. Then it comes down too to people getting out and vote voting. Yeah, that's um, the problem, right? No, like a lot of young people, they do not exercise their rights to vote, especially in the black community. I think we can change the world and I think the world will change soon, but we kinda need to get that like last bit of like the the old, old generation <laughs> out. <laughs> With gun control back on the agenda after a recent school shooting in Florida, many in our groups defended the right to own firearms, but they were not universally opposed to any reforms, even if some doubted that they would work. Who around the table owns a gun? Okay, seven out of ten. We have lots of guns in my house. My husband also has an AR-15 that I think we could take early. My favorite story of history is when Napoleon came over here to take over America, he realized that we all had guns and he ran back home uh, and had, what, six, nine months to get back home before he re- everyone realized that he had left because we're all armed. You turn on your local news and you see all the shootings that happened today. More than likely, they didn't go through the proper channels to get their gun. You know, it's not gonna change that from happening. Okay. You're gonna, you might take it away from some people and their right to defend themselves, but the criminals are still gonna get the guns. They don't care about the law. I don't have a problem with the age thing, but there's not a there's not an age demographic that's causing this problem. It's a crazy it's demographic right. that's causing right. this problem. We need to have like some kind of mental evaluation. Exactly. For people who own guns. I've got you know I'm I'm I've got multiple weapons and assault weapons mm-hmm. and everything, and I enjoy shooting. But I mean, I'll be willing to increase the age limit, have stricter background checks, strict yeah. all that, because uh, I have kids in school mm-hmm. too. A semi-automatic rifle should not be in the hands of an 18-year-old. Agreed. Yeah, yes. good point. I agree with that. Mm-hmm. Australia had one 
um, incidents of a mass shooting within a school and they have not had one since. I don't know how or the, the legislation that was behind that, but I'm all for our kids being able to go to school and not having to worry. No, I, I think enough people see these stories and think, you know, I might not agree with it, but if you think you're doing something to prevent that from happening, give it your best shot, because I, I'm tired of watching those stories. One final local controversy concerned the Mississippi state flag, the only one still to feature the Confederate cross. Not surprisingly, African-American and white voters had sharply different views on the subject, though the younger white voters we spoke to felt less attached to the flag than their older counterparts. I think they should leave it alone. Mm -hmm. It's history. See, but we can't say anything. Just so happens we're all white. You can't say a damn thing if you're white. It's up to blacks because no matter what, they throw a fit as soon as we open our mouth. It's history and it's a war that we lost and, be, mm -hmm. and that we lost it because we should have lost it. I mean, what, they were, what was going on with slavery was wrong, yeah. but I did not look at the Confederate flag as ever representing slavery. Mm -hmm. The Confederate flag represented the southern oh, states. The, southern, yeah. the Confederate battle flag represents 340-something thousand dead Americans. Mm -hmm. Never flew over a slave ship, never represented slavery. It's there, it's history, it's my family history. When you come into the city mm -hmm. and you see in the flag mm -hmm. in the air, representation of the that's, city. That's a statement itself. I just like, I think like what everyone's saying, we need something new, something fresh, something that represents everybody. Um, I just think that that's from, you know, a negative time period, you know, oppression and, you know, supremacy, you know, uh, you know, slavery, something, you know, have something that represents everybody. I just felt like changing a flag wouldn't change people mm -hmm. because it's just uh, a symbol of something that's supposed to represent, but um, your actions come from inside. So um, if you change the flag, it's not going to make those people that want that flag there act any different. One of the biggest problems is like division among people and we can never you know, agree on things. So, like, my opinion on the flag is like, sure, like, if we want to change the flag so that it's something we can all get behind, let's do it. I would rather keep it just so that we don't change it. But, like, if you want to change it, sure, let's change it. Well, Kevin, I'm just going to start this out with a stunning insight. Donald Trump supporters are overall still with him. Well, the people who voted for him enthusiastically are, and it's something we've seen again and again when we've come back, despite the controversy that always swirls around him. The people who were with him then are more or less still with him now, despite everything. I think one exception to that was people who switched over, having voted from for Obama last time, or maybe Bernie Sanders in the primaries and went to Donald Trump. They're slightly less impressed, I think, overall. And if that represents a larger slice of voters, particularly in the states he won narrowly, then I think that's why we're seeing falls in his approval ratings. And that's why things could be looking a bit more precarious for him than we're seeing from the strong, stronger Trump supporters. The one constant that we did see across the board and <clears throat> all the varied groups that we spoke to over the past week in Tennessee and Mississippi is that basically everyone would like to see President Trump stop tweeting. They think it's destabilizing. They think it's beneath the office of the president, and they just wish that he could show a little bit more maturity and restraint. Also on his personal conduct, the story of Stormy Daniels, the um, adult actress, as some in our groups charmingly referred to her, there seems to be this, again, forgiveness of his, or at least tolerance of his personal 
conduct, as somebody said, they didn't elect a saint, they elected a leader. And they recognize the tension with that, but forgive it because they would rather have a scoundrel, but a scoundrel who represents their values through policies rather than personal conduct. And on that, it's the economy that a lot of them bring up when you say what are the best things about the Trump presidency. Most of them, most of the people who voted for him think the economy is doing well. They often mention the stock market. And African-American voters that we spoke to, they are skeptical that the gains in the economy right now could quickly evaporate and it could fluctuate. Another controversial issue that's reared its head again is gun control. Most of the people in our groups actually owned guns personally and were committed to the right to own guns. But as a local, were you surprised by some of the things they had to say about it? I actually was. I was not expecting there to be as much give and take in willingness to enact some pretty common sense basic gun reform, such as banning bump stocks, raising the age to buy a semi-automatic to age 21. These were concessions that really I would not have seen as politically palatable, but it shows the impact of this last round of shootings. And you heard on numerous occasions from voters how concerned they were about these shootings becoming commonplace and how they felt that something had to be done, that the background system had to be strengthened, that we had to be doing more to check the backgrounds of people purchasing weapons. Um, attention is already turning to the midterms in November. I think that's probably more true for people who follow the twists and turns, as we say, than the voters themselves at this stage. Well, and I guess as someone who born and raised in Mississippi, and now I'm in politics, I am in the media, I follow this so closely, but then to come back home and to listen on, to all of these focus groups and realize just how little impact the national our national representatives are having on the lives of their constituencies and how absent they are. And you look at how they have very low name recognition and they aren't seen as necessarily positive forces in the lives of the electorate because they are seen as so distant and untouchable and unreachable. And that's somewhere where Donald Trump is pretty visible. He's out there. He might be, you know, flaming up the social media platform, but he's got a presence and he does seem to be connecting with voters in a way that you see is missing at the local level. As far as the voters are concerned, even after two years in politics, he still isn't a politician. There's the political establishment and there's Donald Trump. Bill Bryan has been the governor of Mississippi since 2012. Last week, he sat down with Lord Ashcroft in Jackson, the state capital, to discuss flags, guns, and elections, and first, to explain what being a governor is all about. The wonderful thing about being a governor is we have 50 independent executives, so I don't have to go to Washington to ask permission for anything. Now, we always need their help, but a governor is an independent uh, executive within the state, so you can actually do things. You can wake up one morning and say, you know, we need a new medical school, and you can gather people about. You can go and try to find, uh, as we did, a federal grant for a new medical school, and then a year later, you, you, you have a new medical school. So you are, in fact, the CEO of a business, and this business is Mississippi. Uh, I'm very fortunate that I, I, I tell people I'm a salesman. I work on commission. So as I travel around the world and uh, sell Mississippi, it's a wonderful product. 
we have the responsibility as governors, too, uh, for public safety. So my first responsibility is commander-in-chief of the Mississippi National Guard. Also, uh, state police, so the Department of Public Safety comes under the authority and control of the governor. So that's the first responsibility is protection, MEMA emergency management. So if we have a hurricane, I'm going to be there uh, for command and control. Uh, economic development, as I said, uh, we have a great product and we go about the world uh, trying to bring more businesses here like Toyota, Nissan, uh, Yokohama Tire, Continental Tire Company. We make 70% of the U.S. Navy's warships. We have 120 aerospace industries. It is a great job. Well, one thing that people in Britain often found baffling about America is guns. <laughs> it seems to them that when you have regular tragedies like the school shooting, especially the one last month in Florida, the recent one, and last year in mm -hmm. Las Vegas, that the case for drastically tightening gun ownership laws to many Brits is obvious. Can you explain why so many people oppose changing the law and why they feel so strongly about the right to I, own I think guns? if you look back... Um, to the very beginning of the United States um, in the revolution. And I'll be sensitive here. Uh, but it, it was because Americans had guns. Now, most of those were used for protection and for hunting, as they are today. As a matter of fact, most of the guns in the United States, and I probably own 15 guns, and um, they're used for hunting and, and self-protection. The Second Amendment to the Constitution was placed in there by the Founding Fathers so that we would have, an, as they, call, they say, an armed militia, which was made up of civilians who came together. Um, but we have an armed populace, not so much, I think, for uh, concerns of external threats, like an invasion, but to do so in case this government or any government ever decided that they were going to take total control uh, and become a dictatorship, then they would have an armed populace to try to overcome. So it, it, is, it is part of, I think, the culture of America to believe that we have the right to, be, to keep and bear arms, and uh, that shall not be infringed upon by the government. Another controversy uh, which I've noticed here in Mississippi is the debate over the Mississippi flag, which yeah. is the only state flag in the USA to still include the old Confederate battle cross. Right. Do you actually understand why some in the States are uncomfortable with it, saying it harks back to the uh, time of slavery? Absolutely I do. I, I'm sensitive to the fact that African Americans look at it in a different way. And what I have said repeatedly is, uh, it, again, go to the sovereigns. We changed the flag, or we kept the flag, and we uh, change was attempted 14 years ago. I think things have changed in the last 14 years. So I would like to see it put back on the ballot. Uh, we've designed um, a banner for uh, the bicentennial for the state that has a state seal on it that added our national motto in God we trust. I think if that was put on the ballot with the current flag uh, and let the people vote, I would more than welcome their decision, whether that's to keep the current flag or to change the flag but it has to be the people's decision to do so. Last year, your neighbors in Alabama elected a Democrat uh, mm -hmm. to the Senate, a result that would have seemed unthinkable only a few months previously. Do you think that was down to the particular circumstances of that election, or do you worry that it heralds a turning away from the GOP, even in what we have come to think of as solidly 
Republican parts of the South? Uh, I think it was an anomaly. Uh, the the conservative side of the Republican Party in Alabama picked Judge Roy Moore, who was very conservative. And so now you have Mr. Jones, the Democrat, who tries to be this moderate Democrat. I'm you know I'm not so liberal as they are in Washington. He plays that that game, and then the media uh, attacks Roy Moore, who has this strange penchant uh, apparently for dating fourteen year old girls. When he was 30. This is abhorrent to anyone. So he was he was he was done as a candidate. That race was lost immediately when that information became available. And so it was an anomaly. I do not think it's something that you'll see a wave of, of democratic movements across the South. It's become almost a cliche to talk about how polarized American political life has become. Why do you think this has come about? And how optimistic are you that it's going to change anytime soon? Uh, I think, yes, there is a polarization uh, far uh, greater than I've seen it in my 25 years in public life. I, I think it started with the Obama administration. Um, I, I think President Obama acted in a way that um, a, a lot of Republicans and those that are on the right side of the political spectrum felt very uncomfortable with. And we were told as conservatives, we were haters and we were homophobic and we were xenophobic and we were racist. And it was a constant um, conflict and widening between uh, white and black, between Democrats and Republicans. And um, I, I think what happened is the liberals uh, received everything they wanted. Uh, all of a sudden, you have Obamacare. All of a sudden, you have talks, uh, real serious conversations about uh, restricting your, your Second Amendment rights. You had movements towards more abortion, and which Southern people are very much against uh, in large portions. So those those wedge issues were used by the Obama administration, I think, to further the gap. Then, then you take a hard right turn with Donald Trump, and it, it was... It was ripping the Band-Aid off uh, for them, and they've been complaining like petulant children ever since the left has. And now you have these factions that believe that they're more Republican than most Republicans. So they say, not only am I a Republican, I'm a super Republican, and I'm the arbiter of conservatism, so I know what a conservative is and you don't. And that's uh, a new problem within our party that I think uh, we have to try to solve. Uh, you've become a little bit of an Anglophile uh, recently. <laughs> you've come over to, uh, to London. Uh, you've flown in one of our World War II uh, Spitfires. You've met members of the royal family. Mm. You've become a freeman of the, uh, of the city of London. Yeah. Uh, you've had a, a nice dinner cruising up the, uh, the River Thames. Yeah. And um, you've very kindly become the, uh, the chairman of the American arm of the um, Royal Commonwealth Society. Tell us something about Britain and uh, it, how, it, you, how you found it. It has been an amazing opportunity. Um, I, I, I looked again um, during the administration uh, of Barack Obama and felt as if the ties were not as close as they had been between Great Britain and the United States. This, this is our strongest ally. Uh, the, the British and the Americans fought together and died together during World War II and the First World War. We've always been, many of, most of our families are, are, have come either from 
from Great Britain or Ireland or Scotland. And so there, there's this natural association. We do business with Great Britain. Uh, BP, one of the companies that's very active in Mississippi, is British Petroleum. Um, Drax is a company that we do business with. We look forward to being in the Royal Commonwealth Society. And we want to have cultural exchanges, educational exchanges. I'll be bringing the Chancellor of the University of Mississippi with me in April uh, probably a half a dozen companies or more uh, that will want to do business in Great Britain will be coming, uh, strengthening our ties with our brothers and friends in Great Britain. And finally, a lot of Brits will be thinking about where to take their holidays. Why should they consider Mississippi? Well, as you know, it's the hospitality state. Uh, it is full of nice, warm, welcoming people. It's such a a, diverse, a diversity of opportunity and joy. We're the birthplace of America's music. So Elvis Presley was born in Tupelo, Mississippi. Jimmy Rogers, the father of country music, Meridian, Mississippi. And Robert Johnson, who started the blues at the crossroads by selling his soul to the devil, uh, right there in the Mississippi Delta. So the three genres of America's music all started here. If you want to follow the blues trail and how it started in the cotton fields of Mississippi and found its way around the world to little bands like the Rolling Stones and Eric Clampton and the Beatles uh, come to Mississippi, beautiful white sand beaches, uh, and at a much lower cost than you would find in in Miami Beach or in San Diego, California. This is a beautiful, warm state. Uh, history, uh, you can go to Vicksburg, Mississippi and see where the turning point of the Civil War took place. Uh, and, and so it, there is uh, always something to see and do in Mississippi. Well, Governor, the ultimate salesman. It's <laughs> always a delight to, Lord, uh, to meet up with thank you. Thank you so uh, much. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you, sir. And that's it for this edition of the Ashcroft in America podcast from my favorite place in the United States, Mississippi. Tweet us with your comments, questions, and thoughts using the hashtag Ashcroft in America, and you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. All our research is published at lordashcroftpolls.com, and you can keep up to date on our Facebook page. Thanks for listening to Ashcroft in America, and we'll see you next time.